When I was in, for two years, uh, or a couple of years, I worked as, in landscape construction while I was going through Bible college. I grew up in Newmarket, and so just um, Newmarket, and about 30 minutes north of Newmarket is where I worked. We would, I would drive up every day uh, through Bradford to Guilford, and there from our kind of work site, we would go out anywhere from an hour and 30 minutes. So, you know, down to the city, out to Tottenham, up to cottage country, and we would go kind of anywhere. Which meant it brought me to a lot of places that I wasn't familiar with. And every once in a while, my boss, Mike, who was an excellent boss, would say, hey, you know, you're going to this job, it's a sod job, because it's a Saturday, let's say, and that's a half day, eight hours. And uh, <laughs> landscape, if you've ever done it, you know the joke. Um, and so we would go out, and he would say, yeah, I need you to go pick up some sod in this area of where you are. And uh, so what you're going to do is, just before you get to the client's house, you're going to kind of come along, and you'll see the Tim Hortons. When you get there, just hang a right, okay? And you're going to go along that road for a bit. And as you go down, you know, you'll see uh, Home Hardware, or one of those kind of stores, and you'll take a left, and, you know, just kind of keep going. You'll go past the graveyard. You'll see that old church you know, the old church, and then you just kind of pull through and you'll start to see some sod fields. And if you've never seen sod fields before, they're just fields covered in grass. So they look a lot like every other field, um, but a little bit smoother, okay? And so you're going out and he's like, you're going to see the sod fields. There's a few of them on that, that uh, street. And so just find one of those and you'll see the open gate. Just go in, pull the truck in, and ask them to just put, uh, you know, get... It's not a big job, so just get a skid or so, 80, 90 rolls of sod, just put it in the back, and then head back. And you're like, sweet, no problem. That's pretty easy. My, Mike was a, a great boss, confident, and he really did know everything. It was amazing um, about landscaping. And uh, so you would go, and you'd start driving down the road, and you'd be like, yeah, okay, here I am. This is where I'm supposed to go. Now, where's that Tim Hortons? And you'd be driving down the road five minutes, ten minutes, and you're like... Man, when he told me about this, it seemed like it was so close. He made it sound so easy that it just must have been right there. And so you're driving 10 minutes. Okay, well, it looks like Tim Hortons. I'm going to turn here. And you're driving and you're driving. And every moment you're expecting that the next step is going to come. But that's not how it goes, right? So you get to the place. You're like, ooh, that's a, that's a you know, not a home hardware. It's, I can't think of another name. It's some other hardware store. Ah, I'm just going to turn here. And then you keep going. And eventually you're like, okay, I'm going down this road, and you're like, oh, it looks like a graveyard, I'm going to go this way, this seems right. And eventually you end up where you're supposed to be, you drive in, and you're like, mm, nope, this isn't it, this is just a driveway. Eventually you find where they're pulling grass that day, and you pull in, and you get your grass, and you go to where you need to go. But you know, in the process of that, it sounded so simple, it sounded so easy, he knew the answer, he knew where he was supposed to go, but I had no idea. I didn't know the timeline of that. I thought 10 minutes. He didn't tell me it was 45 minutes, right? And it was just going to take time. And, you know, that's kind of how things are with God and with our plans of our life. As I look to 2023, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen in your life, right? We are not privy to God's full plan. And we need to be comfortable with that. We are not privy to God's full plan for our life, even for our day to day, okay? That's the truth of the matter. And so what we see, though, as we study the book of Acts is that the, the book of Acts is really the acts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit working through people 
goes to advance the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our job as followers of Jesus is to come alongside the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and to go as disciples in word and in deed. So we're jumping in to Acts chapter 13, specifically studying verses 4 to 12 today. And as we get into this passage, I already shared with you Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is kind of the the thrust or the mission of the book of Acts, of how the gospel is going to kind of spread. It's going to start in Jerusalem, that's what we've seen. That's where it started with Peter and the the other disciples. And then it went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And we enter the third part of that now in Acts chapter 13. And the third part of that is going to be the mission of the gospel to the Gentile world. Who's the Gentile world? Everybody who's not Jewish, which is uh, pretty much every one of us here and most of the people in our world. So this is the mission to the ends of the earth. That's where we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to see the first, the very first Gentile that comes to know the Lord through mission that wasn't some way kind of connected already or wasn't already a God-fearer. So this is a big change in the book of Acts. The gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth. That would be to people that aren't within the Jewish uh, faith or are already uh, fearers of God. God-fearers, as they're called in the book of Acts. Now, as we come to this part, this is the uh, third part, and what we're reading today in Acts chapter 13 is described as uh, Paul's first missionary journey. He's going to go on many missionary journeys, and today we're just going to read about a little part of it, okay? And so as we go through, we're going to see the first missionary journey that Paul was sent on. And uh, last week, Pastor Mark was sharing, and he read... The last parts of chapter 12, verse 24, or sorry, verse 25, and to verse 3. And what we learn there is that as we start in Acts chapter 13, the center of Christianity is no longer going to just be Jerusalem. The mission is going to be centered in Antioch from there to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem will still have, you know, lots of... Christians there as well, but now the story shifts to Antioch as the center, and what we saw last week is that the church was there praying, fasting, practicing their spiritual gifts, okay, they were in the midst of using the gifts that God had given these, uh, the men that were listed there as prophets and as teachers, they're practicing, they're being faithful as servants, Barnabas and Saul have just come back from Jerusalem. They were on mission, and they're there all praying together and fasting, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, set apart for us Barnabas and Saul. And so they do that. That's what we saw last week. They set apart Barnabas and Saul for this mission. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 13, verse 4, and it says this, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing that we notice here is that last week, as we talked about it, we kind of saw that the Holy Spirit prompted them and then the church sent them. But the way that it's interpreted, and it's important for us to realize this, is that though the church sent them, they realize, and Luke is sharing with us the realization, that they are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Not just by the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is going to help cover them, uh, probably with some finances. They're going to pray diligently for them. They're going to, you know, uphold them. 
but it's the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to see today, that the gospel advances by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? If we think it's by us, we're wrong. Me coming up here, sharing some words, you sharing on the street, if it's not by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can share those words, but they need to be received at the other end by the Spirit. The Spirit needs to work with those words in somebody's life. And so the gospel advances, and we're going to see this because it advances through the book of Acts, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we read this and we've heard the story, it seems like it just kind of plays out step by step. Pretty easy, like, yeah, okay, I've heard this story before. This is how it plays out. What I want you to think about for a second is this. Just like your day today, you don't know exactly how it's going to go. Maybe that's too, you know, that's too small of a period. This year, you don't know how it's going to go for a moment. Let's look back on last year. You, don't, you didn't know how it was all going to play out, right? It wasn't until you look backwards, hindsight has 20-20 vision, that you were able to see what God was doing. I say when you look backwards, oftentimes is when you were able to catch up with what God was actually doing, right? You look backwards and you go, oh, you at work all this way, which means right now God is at work in the time that we haven't been, in the rest of our day, in the rest of this year, God is already orchestrating many things that we're not privy to, okay? We don't want to be privy to. He is moving things around. That's what we're going to see in this story here. Barnabas and Saul said yes to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't check mark to say we're going to face opposition in all of these different places. As you look at the first missionary journey of um, Saul, he gets stoned to death. First, he's considered like a god, and people are worshiping him almost, and he's like, no, 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 not me. Right after that, that same crowd stones him to the point that they think he killed him, drag them, drags Paul outside of the city, and then he's rehabilitated. You know, he's going to face crazy opposition. When, when Barnabas and Saul started this mission, they didn't know what the future held, okay? You don't know what the future holds, Jesus kind of warns us a little bit, you know, count the cost of discipleship, realize that you're calling me Lord and you're going to have to give up everything. That's true. That's what we're called to do. We're called to give it up and to trust him. And we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Please do not attempt the Christian life by yourself. It's dangerous. You'll fail. By the power of the Holy Spirit is how we succeed trusting him that lives in us. So that's what we're going to see play out in this story. The Holy Spirit is going to guide them step by step. This plays out for them in real life. Now, in our few verses that we study today, we get one story. And so as it continues on, we're going to see the gospel advances by the power of the Holy Spirit as disciples go in word and in deed to the ends of the earth. So here they go. Uh, verse 4, we'll speed it up. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Uh, at this point, if you want, you can throw up the, uh, the map for me. And so they are meeting in Antioch, which is up there in the uh, top right. All right, top right, Antioch, so it's landlocked. And so, the or so Barnabas and Saul, it says here in verse 4, they went down to Seleucia. So they were in Antioch, they traveled the 25 kilometers down to Seleucia, and from there, a port city, they sailed to the island of Cyprus, okay? I need a visual because there's lots of names. 
And so they, they sailed to the island of Cyprus, which is the third biggest island in the Mediterranean. And there it's kind of this melting pot of every nation and group. There's lots of different people that have kind of been and lived on the island of Cyprus over the years. So it's like kind of every nation lives there. It's a, this melting pot of the Mediterranean um, kind of area around there. And they, they go to Cyprus. They make that journey of about 200 kilometers by boat. And they land at Salamis. That's where they arrive, on the east coast of Salamis. It's a commercial city. It has Jews that already live there. There's some synagogues. And as they arrive, it says they proclaim the word of the God in Jewish synagogues. This will become Paul's pattern, as we'll see in his missionary journeys. Jesus, uh, a good Jew, obviously, also went to the Jewish synagogue. So Paul is just continuing this. Uh, He's hoping to have just a good um, reception for people that are open to hear the gospel. Um, you know, the scriptures remind us to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, and Paul was following this. You'll also maybe think, oh, but Paul wanted to really go to uh, unreached people. And that's true, but at this time in his first missionary journey, that wasn't his personal calling and uh, emphasis in his ministry. Here, he's just going. Why? Because the church at Antioch sent him. And so how they decided to go here, we don't have all that information. All we know is that Barnabas and Saul are going. And so, as they go, they arrive at Salamis, they proclaim God in the Jewish synagogues, and that's what we're told, no stories. And it tells us that John was with them as their helper. This is John Mark, okay, and he's there, um, you know, he wasn't one of the ones that was picked but, uh, by the Holy Spirit, that do- but that doesn't mean that he wasn't supposed to be there. Barnabas and Saul were set out as the leaders of this um, mission, and Mark was brought along uh, as a helper. We don't know exactly what he did. What we do know is that uh, John Mark uh, would later on write the Gospel of Mark, and he witnessed Jesus firsthand in his life. So it was great to have him there. Also, John uh, had family on the island of Cyprus, uh, and also did Barnabas. So that's maybe one of the reasons why they went to Cyprus. And so as it continues on in verse 6, it says they traveled through the whole island and they came to Pathos. And so they traveled the 160 kilometers uh, throughout the island. I don't know if they went up, down, all around, direct route. Either way, they walked, they traveled, they shared the good news for 160 kilometers along the whole island of Cyprus and they came to the town of Pathos, okay? Now, in the process of them going out and sharing the gospel, because that's what they were doing, messengers came back to Pathos, and they, um, Pappas, and they then shared with the proconsul there, hey, there's these guys sharing this, this good news about Jesus, the gospel, and the message made it back to that city. Now, and so, as it carries on, it says this. It says, there in that city, they met a Jewish sorcerer, or a Jewish magician, who is also a false prophet, and his name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, uh, also kind of translated friend of Jesus. It's like, you know, if you've ever met somebody and they say, you know, me and Jesus are close. It's kind of like this this thing that somebody says to say, oh yeah, me and Jesus are friends. And so he's trying to set himself up as a friend of Jesus, the son of Jesus. So, but if you missed what I said first, he was a Jewish sorcerer, okay? His, his source of power was not the Holy Spirit, it was the dark arts. It was sorcery. This is bad, right? So he was melting and melding together Jewish, like, sorcery and calling on the devil 
and then trying to put in the name of Jesus there. This is not going to go well. And so they meet this man because it tells us in verse 7, he was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus, uh, the island of Cyprus, was run by uh, the Romans. It was under their rule, but there was no army there. Uh, there was no war, so they didn't need an army. So they just had a proconsul, and the proconsul was in this city, and um, that's where they were, collecting taxes and all of those different things. And he had sent his helper, who is this Jewish sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, and magician, out and he said, go and find these guys because I want them to come here and share the gospel with me. And so I'm sure when Barnabas and Saul heard that, they went, yes, <laughs> we're going to do that. We will make that arrangement. We will go and speak to them, to speak to him. This is great. Now, again, when they set out from Antioch and went down and went on their journey, they didn't know that they were going to be speaking to the highest Roman official on the island of Cyprus. They just went and followed God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't get the stories, we get this story. And so there is an opportunity that the Holy Spirit has presented to them. He was working things around. However he did that in the background, I don't know. But it happened. And so here Bar-Jesus goes and talks to them. And it says that the proconsul Sergius Paulus, was an intelligent man. And he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So maybe they met at the marketplace or something like that and said, come back, meet Sergius Paulus, the proconsul um, from Rome, and he wants to hear about the gospel. He wants to hear the word of God, it says in verse 7. They say yes. So somewhere between verse 7 and before verse 8 starts, Barnabas and Saul share the word of God with the proconsul. Okay. They share the word of God. We don't know exactly what he says, but we know <laughs> that he is a great speaker, that he was very learned, that he was passionate, that he was willing to follow the Holy Spirit. So he shares with great passion and truth without leaving out part of the gospel, the word of God with him. And he gives it to him. This is the first, so he shares this. And then it says in verse 8, okay, so Barnabas and Saul are being faithful, going by the Holy Spirit. They're going in word and deed. We're going to see the deed in a bit. And they've gone to this, new, to this place. And so in verse 8 it says, But Elimus, the sorcerer or magician, and then in brackets it says, For this is what his name means. Elimus kind of means like this wise man or this magician. Opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith, okay? So they've had the opportunity to share the gospel. He listened. Uh, Elimus listened to his, who he worked for, to the proconsul, met them in the marketplace, brought them back. They shared the gospel. He heard the message, and now Elimus is there, and he is now trying to turn the proconsul from the faith. He's got his ear because he's um, Jewish, which the Romans liked, he says he's, you know, in touch with Jesus. He's shown power because he's in, uh, kind of works in the dark arts. And so he has the ear of this proconsul. And he's trying to, it says, take him away to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, later on, that idea of turning, um, if you jump down to verse 10, it talks about how... Uh, Saul is going to say, 
will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, in the ESV and some other translations, it talks about how will you, um, will you never stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And so the idea here, as he says that he's trying to turn the pro-council, he's trying to twist and turn and move the path to the Lord that is straight, and he's making it crooked. He's making it hard to get to. And so that's what he's doing. He's not... He's perverting the right way of the Lord that's been shared. And so as it continues on, um, verse 8, it says, I'll just start again at the beginning of that, but Elimus the sorcerer opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an important verse, and we'll take just a minute here, because this is now the first time this whole time I've been trying as best as I could to say Barnabas and Saul, which is hard when you know Saul as usually going by Paul who wrote all the letters. But up until this point, this is how it's presented. If you look back in your Bibles with me, Acts chapter uh, 12, verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished, as it continues on, it says in verse uh, 2, the second half, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And then as you get into even this passage, it talks a few times about Barnabas and Saul, verse 7. But here, all of a sudden, in verse 9, it says, then Saul, who is also called Paul, and now you've heard this before, you know, um, Paul, or Saul, has two names, okay? This wasn't like on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden he was given a new name. Just at his birth, he had a Jewish name and a Roman name because he was a Roman citizen. And so now he's going out and he is speaking to the Gentile population, to the ends of the earth, non-Jewish people. And so he's just going to go by his name, Paul. But we're also going to see at this point that he really takes on leadership, that it's no longer Barnabas and Saul going out on this missionary journey, it's now Paul is the primary teacher. Barnabas is still there, but Paul is given kind of the lead, and his name now comes first. And it's not Saul, it's now Paul. And the reason for this is that Paul is an apostle. We call him an apostle. He met Jesus on the road. That gave him, and he met Jesus, and Jesus set him apart for this work. And he's going to show his apostleship in this, in in coming, being filled with the Holy Spirit in a special way and in calling down and kind of um, being a conduit for the judgment of God that happens immediately on this man. And so, you know, he is going to show and live up to that calling of being an apostle. This is not something that everybody does. Not everybody is an apostle. We don't have apostles like this anymore. But Paul was one of those, and he is set apart. And this is going to be that turn. So also, the church, and as the message spreads throughout the rest of the book of Acts, respects Paul, listens to his words, realizes that he is speaking and acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not his own power. This is acting by the power of the Spirit. He's going to follow in the footsteps of Peter, who really, in the first part of Acts, is the main teacher and the main thrust, and Paul is going to do some of those same things, um, and that's what we see here. So now Paul, and uh, also from this point on, Paul is not called 
you don't hear him called Saul anymore. He's just Paul. And so it tells us in verse 9, then Saul, who was called Paul, this pivotal part where he now kind of takes that leadership of teaching and leading in this group and that role of being an apostle, it says he is filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is my understanding is that you know, he is filled with the Spirit as a Christian. He's going out in the Spirit. But this is a special filling that the, the, the Holy Spirit is leading him to do this right now. And so a special filling for this time that the Holy Spirit is directing him in a very strong way that he knows how he is supposed to act. I don't think Paul just went around doing this to everybody, okay? The Holy Spirit was guiding him. And he looked straight at Elimus and he said in verse 10, you are a child of the devil, which is kind of like, obviously, that's, whoa, that's pretty harsh. But if you remember his name, Bar-Jesus, his Bar-Jesus means, like, uh, son of Jesus, right? Friend of Jesus. And, and Paul is like, man, I'm not calling you friend of Jesus, son of Jesus. Are you kidding me? You're the exact opposite. You are a child of the devil, Okay. If you've ever had children, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you are a child of the devil, is what he sell, tells him. He's just going to tell him straight out, you're not a friend of Jesus. You work for the devil. You're a child of him. You're offspring of him. And the reality is, yeah. And that's what he tells him. And he says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. He realizes and he's telling him, if you're not for God, you're against God. God is the only right way. Jesus is the only right way. You're an enemy of him because you're melting these things together. You, um, you're an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Because he was a magician and he did have power because he was this sorcerer and he was dealing in witchcraft. So he did have some power. And so, and, it, and Paul says to him, kind of condemningly asking this question, condemning in a question, says, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Question mark. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? And verse 11, it says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. This is where Paul is making this, this judgment on him, and he is telling him, the hand of the Lord is against you. This isn't just a rebuke, okay? We talk about brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, you know, we're supposed to come alongside each other, encourage each other, you know, rebuke each other, spur each other on, those who are weak in the faith, encourage them. This is different than that, okay? We'll talk about that. I think there's still application uh, in here for that. But this is like, now the hand of the Lord is against you. And that's true because I think we also need to remember as we look, God is planning things, right? God's hand is not for those and kind of helping them. God is trying to make straight paths to himself for people. And so if you're opposing that, God is going to be working against that. He is making straight paths so people can come to him. The Lord's hand is against you, and this is the judgment. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Wow. And immediately it says, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And so I'm sure as he did this, this is pretty incredible. Um, it would show that he has power, okay? As we're, it would show that he has power. Um, and I'm sure it would have brought to mind for others Paul's, all, Paul's own story on the road to Damascus, right? There he is. He didn't know necessarily that he was... Um, 
working against God, as, as Paul earlier, Saul was, you know, killing Christians and trying to round them up, but on the road to Damascus, as he met Jesus, he went blind, and he had to be led by the hand, and it was, how long are you going to per- be working against me? And this just this idea of blindness, you know, you're in spiritual darkness. Now, it does say um, that this was temporary. Uh, this wasn't necessarily ongoing. But it does say that immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And it happened immediately. And the result of this, of what we see, is that verse 12, when the proconsul saw what happened, okay, he believed. But it doesn't just stop there. This is the part as we look at the, the whole message of this passage is that the gospel advances by the power of the Holy Spirit, by people saying yes, as disciples go. Okay, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know all those details. Just as Paul and Barnabas don't know what that looks like. They don't know what they're saying yes to. <laughs> they do know that the Holy Spirit is with them. The same power that rose their Savior Jesus from the grave lives in them. As they go, that's not just for us as we're trying to fight sin and put sin to death. It's also for us as we go to be obedient in following him, is that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us as we go in word, okay? We need to go in word. We can't just do good deeds. We need to speak of why we're doing those good deeds. It doesn't say give a cup of cold water. It says give a cup of cold water in my name. And you give the cup of cold water, you tell people, you share why you have a hope so they can receive the message, not just the water. And so it says, the gospel, or so I'm saying, the gospel advances by the power of the Holy Spirit as disciples go in word and in deed to the ends of the earth. God sends us all, right? As we look at this, I'll talk about that more. And he makes straight paths to himself. But only some accept the message. This is what we need to know, that God makes straight paths to himself. He sends us to go, but only some accept the message. And we're going to see that here. I don't know if uh, Elimus ever ended up turning. I know Paul, after his encounter with the risen Jesus, the risen Savior on the, on the road, he turned, and he became a strong proponent of, of the Lord, right? This is him, missionary journeys, writing New Testament scriptures. So did Elimus turn? Did he come? Did he see the light? Did he realize that this is the right way? We're not sure, um, but we do know that the proconsul saw this. And it's not that that's what amazed him, all right? I'm sure that he saw that these men have come, that they've faithfully been traveling, they've been sharing the word of God. But he also saw that they had power, over this man who thought that he was, um, had power to talk to the darkness, to work as magic and sorcery. And so, you know, the proconsul thought that here Elimus had power, and it's like an Old Testament standoff, right, in Mount Carmel. Whose God is stronger? Well, we know <laughs> that our Lord, our Savior, is stronger than any other small G gods. There is power out there that the devil has, and as we go to share the gospel, we need to realize we're in a spiritual battle and there is actual forces of darkness out there and that they do have power, but we, are, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, which is stronger, which is more powerful. And so it says that he believed, um, he saw what had happened and he believed. 
and he was amazed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. It wasn't that he just saw a miracle. That's not enough. He believed because he also was amazed at the teaching of the Lord and to hear about who he was. So this is the first conversion in the book of Acts of a Gentile, somebody that had no Jewish roots, that wasn't a God-fearer. This is the first person that turns to the Lord that we have a story of. I'm sure there may have been other ones, but this is the story as the author Luke kind of presents it. This is how the story is shaped for us. And so it is here. Now, as I read this story and think about this story, you know, I think about my own life, I think about people I know, and maybe you can too, of people who are interested in hearing the word of God, okay? They have some, because what we'll see and what we saw in here is that some people are receptive to hearing the word of God. Some people are opposed to the word of God, and some people will believe. And there are people who are interested in hearing the word of God, but the challenge is they have very poor advisors. They have advisors that are trying to twist and turn the right ways of the Lord. They're trying to make crooked the straight paths of God. For some of you in here, the, the way to the Lord is very straight. You've heard the message. You've believed the message. You know it to be true. Yet you've had advisors that have told you other things, and you've listened to them. You've listened to them, and they've crooked up the paths. They, they've made those paths all twisted to God, and then you question, is God really real? You know, there's lots of ways that we can question God. There's lots of ways we can make it twisted. God says he takes away all the, all the, the, the ways that we um, might think, how am I supposed to get to God? He does all the work for us. That's the gospel, right? Oh, how am I supposed to go to God? He's holy, I'm sinful. Okay, I'll pay the price. <laughs> I'll send my son, he'll die for you. Okay, but, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever you want to try to list, money, talents, all of those things, he just says, come to me. He makes path straight. I'm going to send my son. And we put other obstacles. We twist it. We say, well, how do I know that this is true? How do I know that the Bible is true? We felt it. It's moved in our heart. But we are either listening to counsel from others or ourselves are telling ourselves, you know what, I'm going to twist this because it doesn't feel right in my heart. You know, sometimes we want to follow our heart. Just come out of Christmas season, so I've watched um, a number of uh, romantic comedies. Um, I've asked to, to watch a lot of Christmas romantic comedies, you know. And uh, if you always follow your heart... Um, it always usually ends up good in the end in those movies. But that's not really how it works in life, right? Those, those relationships aren't, aren't usually honoring God. Um, we can't just follow our heart and say, I don't think this is right. I know God says it's wrong, but I think it's right, so I'm just going to follow my heart. I want to tell you that Jeremiah tells us that the way of the heart is crooked, deceitful among all things. That's the same idea, that our heart is twisted. That the only thing that untwists our heart and our own passions, two things, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, and it makes straight paths to Him. And that's what we need to remember as we go through Scripture, as we look at Scripture, as we look at our own life. If you have been receiving bad counsel, stop and look at God's Word, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to direct you so you're not being led astray. So you can go out with the Holy Spirit, share in word and deed what he has done, and you can have confidence, confidence enough like this to say, I'm willing to sign up to, as I go in my life, as I go in my work, as I go in my family, whatever is brought, I am trusting God. 
That's the power that we have, okay? And so if you have bad counsel, if you have listened to these things, I pray that you wouldn't. If you're giving bad counsel to people, if you're helping them to question this or who Jesus is or that you need something else, stop. Stop being a bad advisor. The, the, the Holy Spirit is not going to accept that. God is working in everybody's life, I believe. He wants to call people to himself. He's making these paths. He's arranging things. And we are called to go and share. As we look ahead to 2023, I don't know what it holds for you. I don't know what it holds for me. But I do know that as we look back, we're going to see that God was at work, and we're going to have to catch up to what he was doing, right? Because we don't always know. We see very dimly what's going on. But trust me, as you look back, look through Scripture, God has been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. All of us here are called, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are called to go with the gospel. That's what we're called to do. We are called to, as we go, not everybody is called to missions, right? Paul and Barnabas were sent out, not the whole church. They still had to live there. They still had to be a witness there. They still had to work and share with their neighbors. Paul and Barnabas were sent out. You are sent wherever you are to follow the Holy Spirit, to go in word. Speak about God. It's not just about what we do in life, right? It's about the people. Two things last forever. Um, well, people last forever, <laughs> one thing, right? Th that's what we're supposed to do, share the gospel with people. We don't get to take anything with us, our jobs, you know. Um, that's not the most important thing. As you do your job, though, the people that you encounter, you are to share in word and in deed. Now, the deed part is you're not going to necessarily do something like this or some other miracle. But it is Christians who are doing things that aren't normal, <laughs> like loving your neighbor as yourself, like going out of the way to serve them, to listen, to when something goes wrong, give a kind word instead of being angry. When you're in line at the bank or at a grocery store, you know, not losing your cool. When people are talking down about, I was at the pizza store on Friday, as is my custom. Um, they're talking to the people, you know, the, the owner of the store and uh, Ing, the lady that always helps me, you know, they're talking about, oh, it's great, you know, kids are going to be back at school, and uh, I say, you know, I love having my kids at home, and they're like, huh? I'm like, I love having my kids at home. I'm like, I had four of them. I better like it, and like every worker that's back there on a Friday night's like, huh? And then Ing's talking to me. She's like, nobody ever says that. I'm like, that's different, right? And love your kids. Love your spouse. Love what God has brought into your life. As you look at your life, don't just complain about everything. Say, why is this happening? Um, why did this little car accident happen? Why did I miss that bus? We like to make it out that it's all bad. God was some, somehow somebody's trying to get us. Really? <laughs> I'm going to tell you as we go through this first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas could easily go, why? I was stoned to pretty much death. Did I do something wrong? No, God set that up. Oh, I'm sorry, what? God set that up. God set this encounter up. Did I do something wrong? I'm, aren't I a really nice person? Because it's not about just being nice and making it through. It's about presenting through the power of the Spirit that you are different because God lives in you for His glory. That's the purpose. That's as we go in our lives. So look for God as you go with the Holy Spirit. See Him because He is guiding and directing us. That is our hope 
that is what I hope as a church when we go forward into this 2023, that we would go in the power of the Holy Spirit as his disciples in word and in deed.